now that you're all seated, why don't we stand for the reading of Scripture? <laughs> so this is uh, Matthew 3, uh, 16 to 17, into f- uh, Matthew 4, 1 to 4. Let's read, to, uh, let's read together. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love, with him I am well pleased. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the Eremos to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Blessed be the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Father, I ask that your spirit speaks to us as a community and to each one of us as an individual. Uh, Yeah, sorry, just allow me to do this before I get into the talk, uh, just an emphasis and a reminder. Next week, we do have a party. We'll be celebrating Cliff and Danny and sending them off. I'm just realizing some people might have come after that announcement was made. Cliff and Danny will be uh, with us for the last time as residents of this country next weekend. So come ready to party, uh, come ready to bless them, and yeah. And then to worship night is coming up on the April the 5th. Let's get ready for that. So that, the, the scripture we just read is familiar to many of us. And I have just inserted the original Greek word used in this familiar passage for where Jesus went. That word that y'all were wondering, what is this there? The Eremos. Uh, and, and this does not only appear once. It appears several times uh, in the retelling of Jesus's, how Jesus lived his life. For example, in Matthew 14, verse 13, when Jesus heard what had happened, this is what had happened to John the Baptist, his cousin. He had just been killed. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to the Eremos. To be alone. Hearing this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. Mark 6:31. Then, because so many people are coming and, and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, his, Jesus is saying to his disciples, Come with me by yourselves to the Eremos and get some rest. So, what is this? You know, many of us reading the English uh, translations of our Bibles are seeing this word translated as either desert, wilderness, or desert, a desolate place, a place of aloneness. Whatever the translation is, whatever the idea you get, it was a habit for Jesus to withdraw to some quiet, isolated place to be alone. Whether you think it was desert, like uh, no water, no, uh, no trees, or whether you think it was just some uh, place where not many people were, they didn't like going there, whatever idea you get, I want you to know that it was a habit for Jesus to withdraw 
to an isolated place to be alone. And, and now in this passage alone, we see several habits uh, that actually were common for Jesus. So we see that Jesus withdrew to be alone in a uh, to be alone in a place where he's quiet. We see that Jesus was fasting. If if you ever wonder, should should we fast? Is that an old thing? Yes, Jesus actually, when he teaches on fasting, and we'll get to it, says when you fast. So Jesus expects that his followers would fast, and here he is fasting. Um, and then we uh, we know that Jesus was praying, right? Um, and we know that Jesus immersed himself in scripture because you see him speak out scripture. So these are habits that were commonplace for Jesus. And, um, and uh, through the season of Lent, we're in the season of Lent, a couple of weeks leading up from, from uh, Ash Wednesday, leading up to Easter, where, where the church focuses on repentance and realignment. And through this season of Lent, we have anchored our conversations as a church community on John 15, the invitation of Jesus to abide in him. If you abide in me and I abide in you, you will be fruitful. There's an invitation to be fruitful. And the only way to be fruitful is if we abide in Jesus. And this is an intentional call to rearrange our lives, our habits, our rhythms of life, and our relationships so that they align with what we actually believe. That's what I've been calling a rule of life. Friends, it takes more than just believing. It takes more than just being convinced that God is good. It takes more than just saying, I have faith. It, 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 there's an invitation to a way of life. Jesus cannot be something we add on to our already busy lives. We want that. We, often we live like that. But Jesus cannot be an add-on. You know when you, when you go to the supermarket and you wanted uh, uh, flour and then you think, oh, I might as well buy this. Or when you're online shopping and then you get what you want and then they say, also add to cart. You can't do that with Jesus. He cannot be an add-on. So the, the invitation to abide is an invitation to an intentional way of living that involves your time, your body, your mind, your emotions, and your relationships around being with Jesus. It is about creating time and space. Creating time and space for the presence of God so that eventually he can do what only he can do in us. If sometimes uh, you, you just go, oh, I've really battled this pattern of sin forever. You can't break it on your own. Oh, I have really battled depression for a long time. You can't break it on your own. But as we practice, as we learn to sit in the presence of God, we, we cannot manipulate things. We cannot make things working, work at our, in our timing. But what we're doing is that we're creating time and space to be with the Father so that he can do in us what only he can do. And... Um, Here's what, here's what Paul, another apostle of Jesus, another follower of Jesus, he came much later and uh, he was one, a great church planter and, and um, here's how he puts it. This is Romans 12 verse 1 to 2. I'm going to read in the, in the uh, message version because some of us know this scripture. I know some of us have been going to church way longer than I have lived. So it says, uh, uh, present your bodies as a... As a, as a 
as a worthy sacrifice. Here's how he puts it, uh, uh, Eugene Peterson. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. You can't do it on your own. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embrace what God does for you as, uh, sorry, embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it even without thinking. Instead, fix your attention to, on God. You will be changed from the inside out. Some of our lives have no difference from, from the lives of, of, the, of the culture around us. And Eugene Peterson saying, hey, you can't do that if you take Jesus' mercy seriously. And it's not a big thing. When we talk of spiritual discipline, sometimes we feel threatened. We feel like, oh, that's a big thing for the pastors and, you know, spiritual giants. And Eugene Peterson says, no, actually, take your everyday, ordinary life, sleeping, eating, working, walking about, and place it before God as a sacrifice. That's when you will see transformation. So this is an invitation, a rule of life is living in a way that trains us to always be with Jesus, at work and with Jesus, at home and with Jesus, at school and with Jesus, at rest and with Jesus, having fun and with Jesus, on a date and with Jesus, uh, uh, to always be found in Jesus. And this is something we practice, we, we do and do and do again until it moves into our bones. The challenge is that often believers have, have, have faith in their minds. We know what we believe, but it's not really in our bones. It's not really where we, it's not our second nature. It's not really where we go to when the tire meets the road. And it's through practice that it actually becomes who we are. So I've often used the phrase, practice doesn't actually make perfect, it makes permanent. You're who you are because of the things you've practiced over and over and over and over again. I was sharing with a group of friends that uh, uh, at some point last year, I, I, so I really love coffee and, and, you know, that's an open secret, but I started taking a whole pot by myself long before I got to the office. Of course, that's... You know, it's funny how we talk openly about certain addictions and not others. Um, but then, uh, uh, now I have to drive quite a lot. What driving does, if you have no idea, it raises your cortisol levels because you're on alert. Now I'm realizing I'm pumping a lot of adrenaline in me and, and, um, and also I'm constantly on high alert. Do you know what over time I started realizing? I am so anxious. Even when I'm not driving, I'm just like, uh, what's going to happen next? You become what you do over and over and over again. You become what you do over and over and over again. And, and I love the other thing. I've completely gone off script. I'm so sorry, people. But you know, uh, Eugene Peterson says, pay attention to God. Attention is the beginning of affection. Just so you know. Where your attention is going, you will love. And what you love, you will become. If you're not paying attention to your spouse, you will not love them. 
Or, you know, I see these memes um, of, you know, uh, our millennials, we, we are the weirdest. No, 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 uh, Gen Zs are the weirdest. I'm sorry if you're in the room. But, you know, millennials are like, ah, I won't even save their number. It's a big deal when a millennial saves your number. It's like, someone actually told me that. I did not know it was a thing. You know, it's like, oh, I think it, it's, it's moved to a different stage when, when you save their number. I'm like, what? How then do you call them? Anyway, so people chat online, chat online. And then you get to this point where you're waiting for them to text back. You know what has happened? You've paid attention way too long. Now you have affection. It's the same thing. If we're going to have affection for God, we must pay attention. Anyway, so here's the thing. The truth about a rule of life that I want you to know. This is not a church thing. You have a rule of life. We all have a rule of life, and it is forming us. Most of us are worshiping, uh, worshiping at the altar of Netflix and Instagram, and then we add a pinch of Jesus on the side on the weekend when we come to church. Over time, you do not become a disciple of Jesus. Let me tell you whose disciple you're becoming. You're becoming a person with no self-control because that's what every show Netflix has. You know, uh, uh, no self-gratification, uh, sorry, uh, no delayed gratification, no self-control. Um, and then you're becoming uh, someone who's not content with your wife. You're, you're not content with your house. You're not content with your job. You're not content with your boyfriend. You're not cont- because of all the comparisons on Instagram, you're becoming like the person you're apprenticing under. You have a rule of life and it's shaping you. Most of us worship at the altar of our political parties and we, you know, and then we add a bit of Jesus on the side. And you know who you're becoming like? You're becoming like your political giant with very little, uh, with very little patience and full of self-righteousness. Over time, you're formed to become just like your political masters and your heart is turned away from God to, to the country or to the tribe or to identity politics, or to wokeness. Some of us sure really like Jesus, but we just don't abide in him. We like him, but he's not Lord of our lives. We believe in Jesus, but we abide, in, we abide elsewhere. And, you know, belief is not enough for transformation. It is crucial. Don't ever get me wrong. We are saved by faith and faith alone. We are not transformed by faith alone. It is crucial, but it takes more. You have a rule of faith. You need a rule of life. So a rule of life is, is, is uh, uh, an intentional ordering of your daily activities and the rhythms of your relationships around being with Jesus. And so we're looking at practices from the way of Jesus. What I mean is the things, the things we can see Jesus doing often and the things we see in the early church and then asking ourselves, how can we live our lives from that place? And this isn't an invitation to add on. In fact, it's an invitation to subtract. I know our lives are already too busy. I know our lives are already too anxious. I know uh, the economy is hard and you're working hard. I am not inviting you to add one more thing. In fact, I'm inviting you to subtract. 
So we're talking of things like prayer, fasting, quiet, being, being alone in a quiet place, scripture, Sabbath, community, generosity, sharing the gospel, worship. These are things we see in the lives of Jesus and the invitation is, can we live our lives from that place? So, um, and, and, and so today we're talking of the, the habit of withdrawing from the world to be somewhere alone and in quiet and just sit with the Father. This is, this is the habit that has sometimes been called silence and solitude. And it is a constant thing Jesus keeps doing. Something he did constantly. He often withdrew to a, to a lonely and a quiet place. Often withdrew to a lonely and a quiet place to just be with the Father. It's not a one-off thing. It cannot be a one-off thing for us. What would you do with 40 days? Just, you're on leave. Uh, your husband is traveling. For some reason, church is not happening. I don't know why. But you know, what would you do? 40 days of your life to yourself. Many of us would not survive one day alone. I wouldn't. It's like, I need people. I need people now. You know? And introverts would think, oh, great. Nobody's here. But even they would get to a point of like, I need my person here now. Sorry, why did I make that sound for introverts? That's, that's, I'm, if you're an introvert, please forgive me. It's, it's, okay. <laughs> what are we doing? Um, but most of us will turn on to binge watching. That is the time to finish Suits again. So if you haven't watched Suits, watch it. If you haven't watched... Uh, okay, let's not do that. <laughs> so most of us will just turn to binge watching and compul compulsively uh, scrolling on Instagram. I am I not saying the truth? We live in a, in a world of compulsive doing stuff. Most of us will turn on music. I play loud music. <laughs> Even when I'm driving, my car is just boof, boof. It's one big speaker, you know? <clears throat> Before I fixed the radio in my car, I was a very sad person. I was like, oh, I got to fix this. So, uh, so it will turn loud music or the, the holy ones among us. Oh, no, we're all holy, sorry. The most spiritual ones among us will turn on to podcasts and listen to Edgar King from last Sunday. No, no one does that. You know, we listen to the, the biggest pastor in town, um, right? Now, Jesus with 40 days and 40 nights, what is he doing? He's not eating. He's alone, and I know he didn't have an iPhone. Uh, you can trust me on that. So Jesus is just there. I'm sure he prayed. I think he slept a lot. I think there were moments, you know, some of us try to imagine that Jesus just kept on praying. He was just like you and me. He didn't pray all through in terms of... Da, 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 da. No, sometimes he just sat down in silence. I think sometimes he just threw rocks. Imagine 40 days alone. Right? Let's, let's be honest. Jesus just stayed and waited and abided. Everything he was doing in that time was exclusively withdrawing himself so that he can be with the Father. Then, you know, so, so he's, he's, uh, he's quieted all noise or stimuli, right? 
There are no donkeys. In this case, there are no cars around, you know. There are no donkeys running around, and uh, uh, his mother isn't there to go, oh, did you finish the order for furniture that was given to us? Uh, like, no one is there. The politicians aren't coming to town, and the soldiers, he's in an isolated place. He's, quite, he's silenced all external noises. And then he got to face down internal noises. So, so many of us have watched the Jesus movies where the temptation of Jesus, you see like a snake is coming towards him and going, sure, sure, if you're the son of God, right? Or we see it as an external voice speaking loudly to him. Okay. Jesus was much like you and me. How do you get tempted? There's a voice in your head saying, you know what? You could get away with this. So it is the same thing with Jesus. There are voices in, uh, the enemy's voice is saying a lie to him. And so the enemy tempts him and says, why, why don't you do this? Why don't you do this? Much like you and me. In the quiet place, we not only silence the world around us, we also face down the noise inside us. And then Jesus leaves that place. We would think after 40 days and 40 nights of not eating and battling the devil, Jesus must be weak and tired. No, he's actually at his strongest point because he moves from there, preaching into all these towns and performing miracles all over the place. And then a time comes again. His cousin is killed. What does Jesus do? He withdraws again. This is a habit, Right? You would think that he, he was at his weakest. No, he was at his strongest. In the silence, in the, in the quiet place, we silence the outside and we face down the noise inside. Uh, the biggest conspiracy of our time, I, I, so I don't get swayed by many conspiracy theories, but I love watching them, right? I know everyone who's probably uh, responsible for the murder of Princess Diana, for the murder of Robert Ouko. I'd, oh my goodness. It started with my dad. He'd sit us under a tree and tell us government secrets. I'm like, dude, you've been here. How do you know this? So, you know, but I think the biggest conspiracy of our time is the, is the conspiracy of noise. If you can be kept at a place of constant stimuli, always with people, always on a screen, always listening to something, always listening to music and podcasts, you will never hear the voice of God. You will never hear your father's love for you. You will just never grow up. So many of us don't grow because we never sit alone in quiet with God. Do you know where the noisiest part of the pool is? Where George and I are, at the shallow end, right? It's like, no, that's very true. Mostly I'm there for George, but that's not the subject of today. So, but anyway, the noisiest part of the pool is at the shallow end. You know, everybody say, oh, I'm a great swimmer. But those who are actually swimming at the deep end, they got no time for noise. The noisier we are, the less we're growing, the, the less depth we have. So I want to read another story today. It's a story of, of I just want us to see the rhythms of silence and solitude, or, or if that's a word that's throwing you off, just being alone and in quiet. That's what I mean. So there's a prophet from old called Elijah. And let me give you a context for the story we will read. He has just come from victory. 
God has shown up for him big time. There was a showdown with false prophets. He won. Everybody is aware that Elijah is God's person and, and, and God is Elijah. You know, he is for God and God is for him. Let's just say it that way, right? And then he receives this threat and he just crumbles and hides. So this is 1 Kings. Then Ahab told Jezebel everything that Elijah had done, including the fact that he had killed all their prophets with a sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to say to Elijah, May the gods punish me severely and even double if by this time tomorrow I have not made your life like, like one of theirs. Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life. He went to Beersheba, which belongs in Judah, and he left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey ahead into the wilderness. There he sat down under a broom tree where he prayed that he would die. He said, I have had enough, Lord. Take my life, for I am no better than my, uh, the, uh, no better than my father's. You remember the week we talked about prayer and I told you God is actually okay if you come to him and you're just done? That's what Elijah is doing. Then he lay down and he went to sleep under the broom tree. Suddenly an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. Then he looked around and near his head there was a loaf of bread. I would like that most Saturday mornings. There was a loaf of bread baking on the coals and a jar of water and he ate and drank. And then he lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat because the journey is too much for you. So he got up, ate and drank. Then with the strength gained from that food, he walked for 40 days and 40 nights. Similarity? He's alone walking 40 days, 40 nights uh, to the mountain of God, to Horeb, the mountain of God. He came to a cave and spent the night there. The word of the Lord suddenly came to him saying, why are you here, Elijah? Like, okay, this is a bit odd. Your angel said I should come here. Well, anyway, so why are you here, Elijah? He said, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of armies. But the people of Israel have abandoned your covenant. They have torn down your altars and killed your prophets with a sword. I am alone. I'm left. And they are seeking to take my life too. Then the Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. For the Lord is passing by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind came an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire, there was a soft, whispering voice. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face with his cloak and he went and stood at the entrance of the cave. Then a voice came to him and said, why are you here, Elijah? God has this habit of asking the same question a number of times. So you remember when Peter is being asked, do you love me? I, I do. Do you love me? I do. Oh, come on. You know I love you. So why are you here, Elijah? And I am lost because I got too excited. Oh, here we are. And he said, I have been zealous for the Lord, the God of armies, but the people of Israel have abandoned your covenant. They have torn down your altars and killed your prophets with a sword. I alone am left, and they're seeking to take my life. Then the Lord said to him, go back to the, the way you came and go to the wilderness of Damascus. Where you, uh, when you get there, you are to anoint Hazael as king of Aram. 
you are also to anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, as king over Israel, and Elisha, son of Shaf, Shaf, Shaf that name, from Abel, uh, another name, as, a, as prophet in your place. Whoever escapes the sword of Hazael, Jehu will kill. And whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. But I have preserved in Israel 7,000 whose knees have not bent to Baal and, and, and whose lips have not kissed him. It is actually quite common that after a great time where God has actually moved in you, through you, and for you, that, that you get this wave of doubt. I don't know. For me, it happens quite often, actually. So Elijah has just had great victory has had God showing up really big time, and now he doubts that God could protect him. He's scared, he's, you know, and, and, uh, and let me tell you how it presents itself to some of you. Right after you get the job you prayed for, and then you hear a voice saying, I don't think you'll keep this job, you always lose jobs. Is that familiar? You know, some of you, right after you've prayed for someone and they got healed, you hear this voice, maybe they were not sick to begin with. Maybe they're going to get better anyway. Have you heard that voice before? Right after you gave a prophetic word to your colleague and then you think, I just have these crazy thoughts. Maybe it's all me, you know. Uh, right, right after you, you, you give something to, to the poor, you know, you meet someone on the street and you help them and, and, you, and you have a sense that, you are joining God in what he is doing. And then you take a few steps from there and you think, what if, what if he was lying to me? Or, well, does that make any difference? Have you heard that voice before? It's the same thing that's happening with Elijah. For me, it, you know, when I come from spaces where we've seen God move, um, uh, whether we were teaching at a conference or just private spaces where I'm hanging with friends and I think we've had a, a breakthrough all my insecurities come rushing in. Yes, I know. I, I look confident and uh, I have a ton of insecurities, you know. All my insecurities come, come, come crashing in. Uh, the, 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 the concerns I have for Trinity Vineyard and, how, you know, are we going to make it? The concerns I have for Vineyard Kenya and I'm thinking, what am I even doing? What are we building here? The concerns I have for myself. All these things often come crashing in. Right after I have seen God in a mighty way, right? So what does Elijah do? He goes to that word again, Eremos, somewhere quiet and desolate where he's alone. No one else is there to disturb him. And you know what, what he realized? You know, if you didn't catch it, Elijah is depressed. His only prayer is a suicide note. Kill me. Have you ever made such a prayer? Like, sometimes we are too tired. The only prayer that can come out of our mouths is, God, I am done. That's what's happening with Elijah. He's too tired. All he can pray is, this is it. Then what happens? Elijah, Elijah sleeps. He's woken up by an angel. He's given food and water. And it repeats itself. Sleep, eat, drink, sleep eat, drink. I want you to know that rest, sleep, good food, and drinking well are spiritual disciplines. Your soul is in a bad place if you're not resting, sleeping, eating well, and drinking well. And I just want to clarify, I'm not against uh, wine or whatever, but 
there's new research, alcohol is bad, you don't have to quit, but at least drink water, okay? <laughs> yeah, so rest, eat, sleep, drink, be healthy. Your soul is in a bad place if you're not doing those things. So just before we go on with this, as you plan your, 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 your rule of life, build in time for rest, build in time for sleep, good sleep, make sure you eat as well as you can, and uh, drink water, uh, milk, whichever. Um, then God speaks. The moment God speaks, Elijah is an emotional wreck. God asks him, what are you doing here? Ah, he just starts complaining. I've been doing this all this time, and I am alone, and they're about to kill me. You know what's happening? Elijah is scared for his life. He feels disappointed in God. But imagine he was busy doing miracles, even good things, or feeding someone, or all these good things we sometimes do. At what point would he get here? Sadly, it's in there, so it's going to come out one way or the other. So then, God tells him, take a walk. Another spiritual discipline, sometimes just take a walk. So he's taking a walk, still alone, no distractions. And all he knows is that God has invited me to meet him at the mountain. Sometimes God says, yeah, just come. I've, I've had this, I was sharing with my team, I've had this overwhelming sense of being invited to be on my knees. And I'm just going, okay, then what? It's like constantly, uh, in the morning when I'm praying, I'm just invited to just, just be on your knees. I, I, keep, I, keep, I keep hearing that the Lord is saying, he is coming, he is close. And I think it is for, for, for Trinity Vineyard, and I, and, and I know it's for me personally. And we were sharing with Alan today, because he's also sensing the Lord is saying, uh, uh, consecrate yourselves, for I'm about to do a new thing. And I know that it's, uh, it's the same word, uh, Bill, and, Billy and now are not here today, but they've also been sensing, I think, I think the Lord is about to do something that will blow, blow our minds. I don't know when, but he's saying, keep coming. Meet me here. So I keep kneeling. I'm, I'm like, I don't know where, I don't know how, I don't know for how long. This is what Elijah's been told. Walk, you'll meet me. So he walks. And then God asks him again, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he goes, there he goes. You know what, God? I've been doing this for you. I'm alone. And now my life is in threat. Elijah faces the noise inside him. He's been alone long enough to face the noise inside him. He's been alone long enough to feel what he's actually feeling and name what he's actually feeling before God. Some of us have never been quiet and still enough to actually become aware of the things inside us. And guess what? They're going to spill out one way or the other. So then God speaks to him and gives him clarity and truth. He says, okay, by the way, I want you to go and anoint these people. And, oh, by the way, you're not alone. There are people that I have kept for myself. God goes right for the, for the lie that the enemy has been telling him. The enemy has been telling Elijah, you're alone. And God says, actually, you're not. One, there's a prophet coming after you. Go and anoint him. Which means you're not dying today also. 
And two, you're not alone. There's a group of people who've been faithful. God speaks to the very lie. But how long has it taken? It's taken silencing noise outside, facing down the noise inside. Some of us cannot hear God's voice because we are constantly in noise. Now, this, this practice is, is, is very, very, uh, it's, it's one, well, all of these are practical. Um, so you find a quiet place, you shut off the, the noisy world and country that we live in. No music, no podcasts, no friends to banter with, just be there. And this is very hard. Some of us live in places where at 4 a.m. the matatus have started running. So it's, I, I know shutting off noise is very hard. Some of us wake up with music in our ears, like, you know, uh, but try. That's where it starts. But that isn't even as hard as silencing the voices inside us. Here's what they sound for some of you. Hey, this doesn't matter. You'll be forgiven anyway. Hey, no one has to know. Or in some of your cases, the voices inside of you tell you you're worthless. You won't amount to anything. You're alone. No one really loves you. Even this will fail. It is only in the place of silence and solitude, being alone in a quiet place, that we can face down the noise inside us. Stay there. Feel everything you're feeling. The anger, the disappointment, the shame. Feel it all and then name it before your father. God, I am scared. God, I am disappointed in you. God, I think you've let me down. It doesn't always have to be negative. Just whatever it is, feel it and name it. Actually, a lot of negative emotions lose their power if we name them. And the safest place to name them is before uh, the Father who loves you. This is a place of true healing. Now, I want you to know, silence and solitude is not therapy. It is therapeutic, but it is not therapy. This is the crucible of transformation. I think silence and solitude is one of the key practices of the way of Jesus. I think for those who will dare step into making a rule of life, you've got to have silence and solitude built in. It's one of the key practices in the, uh, in, the, in the way of Jesus. We not only spend time with God, we face down the devil, just like Jesus, just like Elijah. That's the place where true healing happens. Silence and solitude is not necessarily a place for revelation. What I mean by that, so it's like you'll discover new truth. You know, some of us sit there and go, oh, you know, especially during the elections and sometimes in other times, let's say we were doing a prayer as a church, people often come and ask me, what is God saying? What is God saying? We're obsessed with what is God saying that we don't spend time with God. Silence and solitude is not necessarily a place for revelation. It's a place for abiding. Just stay with the Father. A place of surrender. When you finally accept the helplessness you have and surrender to the King of Kings. When you finally accept that you feel hopeless and look into the eyes of the one whose name is hope. When you finally accept that you're hurt beyond repair and you are beheld in the eyes of the one who loves you most. 
when you stop trying and you go, I'm just here. I'm here and I'm broken and I'm hurt. I'm here and I'm scared. You surrender control. Friday, I was waiting for my community group. They came out and then I had a text from a friend. So uh, I, I entered the Sabbath from Friday into Saturday. So my phone's mostly off. It's always off. And then there are just a few people in my life that their, their numbers are cleared, that they could text me. So this is how close that person is. But they said things that were very, very difficult. And I remember sitting with my, my community group, and I'm just like, I'm distracted, and, and I'm hurting. And I, I, there was this battle to, you know, switch on my phone and fight back and say something. You know, have the last word. I got to give them a piece of my, my mind. I've got to answer this. And, you know, kept reminding myself, no, this, is, this isn't the day. And then, thankfully, my community group finally left my house. Whew. Anyway, so uh, everybody left, and I, and I was alone. And I just sat there. By the end of the day, it took me a whole day to come to a place of real peace. And I, I wasn't trying to change things. In fact, I, I felt the Lord say to call somebody, uh, someone, someone else and not that person because they're being impacted by what's going on and just go, hey, how are you doing? And I'm, you know, I'm, at this moment, I feel like I'm not even going to engage with that stuff until April. I feel a lot of peace, but it took a whole day of a lot of sleeping and just being alone and quiet. And then after that, you go back into the world. We don't, we don't withdraw to stay there. Silence and solitude is not running away from the, from the world. It is withdrawing for the, from the world for the world. Then we re-engage as Elijah was being given new instructions. We re-engage with the world. We re-engage with our family. We re-engage with our places of work. We re-engage with the church. We re-engage with the world. So... Silence and solitude, it's a practice of deliberately withdrawing from the world and life to a quiet place to be alone with God. And as we quiet the noises around us, we face down the noises inside us and behold the loving kindness of God. What is it not? And I'm just recapping all these things I've said. What is it not? It's, not? it's not a call to discard the world. We always withdraw to re-engage. It's not a place of therapy, even though it is therapeutic. And the goal is not revelation. The goal is being with God. So these are the rhythms of, of silence and solitude. Rest. Depending on how, how, you, how long you do it. You can do it from, from 15 minutes to a couple of hours to a couple of days like Jesus and Elijah did. And you just start by rest. Elijah was so exhausted and depressed, his praise fatalistic. Some of you are so tired. Just life has worn your body out. You cannot pray. You cannot hear the Father. Start with resting. Then waiting. Just sit there. Wait. Don't, don't pray. Don't output. Just sit there. Wait. And then feel what's coming up to your mind. What hurts or joys? Feel everything that is coming. God asks Elijah one question and he's an emotional wreck. Doubt, anger, disillusionment, frustration. He is not healthy at all. But this is the right place to be at. 
And then name the things you're feeling before God. Don't pretend. If you're not happy, you're not happy. And saying you're happy will make you happy. Don't pretend. Just say, I am mad and I am here. And then wait again. Sit there. Wait. Should God speak? Listen. And note it down. Listen to what God uh, should say. And then what happens after that, this, are, this, are, this is something you cannot do. This is where you get transformed. Silence and solitude is a place of healing where God, where God goes for the lies that are crippling you. And he speaks truth there. And then you re-engage back to society. Get out from that place and go back into the world. So how do you do it? One, I want you to become aware of your schedule your personality, and, and your season of life. If you're a mother to a very young child, you might not get away for many days. <laughs> or you might, you, know, you might schedule some time in the morning, and that's where, you know, uh, Enoch was telling me that Iana wakes up at 4 a.m. and just starts making sounds. <laughs> you know, you just know your season of life, know your personality, uh, and, and know your schedule. If you've got to be, be at work by 6, well... That says something if you want to do it in the morning, right? Set aside a time and a place and go alone. Don't bring your husband. Don't bring your wife. Don't bring your best friend. Now, I'm not saying you cannot do it together. Go alone. Go to this place alone. You may need to make arrangements. Turn off all noises. Turn off music. Turn off your phone. Turn off TV. No podcasts. No books. Just sit quietly. Then stay there believing that God is present with you. Stay there believing that God is present with you. Then, if any feelings come up, if any thoughts come up, name them. Name them. In all honesty before your father. Because this is a place where you experience God's kindness, uh, loving kindness. If you sense God is saying something to you in return, write it down. I would suggest journal it and not write it on your phone because our phones have a way of drawing us into the reels. And if I'm your friend on Instagram, you're welcome because I'm sure I've sent you a few reels. And then when, when that time is up, give thanks and re-engage with the world. So today, we'll actually do it together for just five minutes, yeah? And then I'll release us. Um, so I want you to sit as comfortably as you can. I know it's hot. It's comfortable to feel your feet, not too comfortable that you may sleep. Feel free to keep your eyes open, to close them. It's just you and the Father. And then when you're ready, just with your breath, just say the words, God, you are here and I'm here with you. And then I will set a timer and we'll wait. <laughs>